Good morning. So glad that you guys are able to be here today, fighting the, the weather to get here. And so thank you for doing that. Uh, as the ushers come with the offering, just a little bit of uh, housekeeping that I wanted to make you aware of. One, I was just, I was thinking about this this morning. I couldn't help but want to share it with you. Uh, yesterday, our elder board met uh, for our once a month Saturday morning meeting where we do a little bit of training and thinking and praying together. And we, were, we had read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's. If you're not familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he is a pastor theologian, lived years ago in Germany. And we were reflecting on a, a little book he wrote, which I would highly recommend called Life Together, which is about what, is, what does it look like for, what does Christian brotherhood and sisterhood look like? What does it look like for us to, to be bound together in Christ? And one of the points that we were talking about, reflecting upon, that he makes in the first chapter of the book, he just says, we are made to be a scattered people as Christians. We're, we're made to be scattered throughout the world where we live so that Christ's kingdom may grow wherever we're scattered, so that so that, that would take place. But because we're made to be scattered, it's precious when we get to come together and be together. Uh, and he, he, he argues that there should be a longing among God's people to be bodily present with one another. And I just, I couldn't help but think that in fighting the elements to get here today and in first service too, I said this to them, that you're demonstrating that reality, that we long to be bodily present together uh, with one another because when we're together, we represent Christ to each other, we uphold one another, we encourage one another, we strengthen one another. And I love that. And I pray that that continues to grow in our church, that we don't just come together because it's habit or ritual or, you know, for any other reason. We, we come together because we need each other. Uh, and that we long for each other. My prayer for you is, as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that that longing for the people of God to be with them would increase. I think we've lost a bit of that in the American church and other places around the world. They know what it is to long to be together. I'm not sure we always long to be together the way God has designed us to, uh, but I pray that we would increase in that and grow in it. So I love that. Thank you for being here today. It's a demonstration, I think, uh, of that reality. The thing, other thing I wanted to make you aware of, I couldn't help but want to share that just as a reflection, but the thing I want to make you aware of is that you know if you've been a part of our church for a little while that we annually do a baptism service, that once a year we celebrate what God has done to bring life out of death uh, among us through baptism. And it's, this, it's really one of my favorite services of the year. We do that every September. But we are, we've just decided as leadership this year, we don't want to just do that once. We want to do it twice this year. So we're making another opportunity for baptism. It will take place on February 10th. We'll still have baptism opportunity in September. But we wanted to do that because some of you have just come to Christ recently. You've placed your faith in him. We don't want you to have to wait all the way till September to demonstrate that new life that you have in him through baptism. So promise you we're not doing outdoor baptism in February. Let me promise that. We'll be right here, two services, just like we did last year in September when we kind of got rained out outside. We're gonna do that again right in here, February 10th. The reason I tell you that is because whether you've been walking with Christ for a while and just have never uh, obeyed that command that he's given us to be baptized, let me just say, because it is his command, I can say with great confidence, now is your time. If you're in Christ, today's the day, or maybe not, February 10th is the day, let me say it that way. So I, I wanna invite you to really prayerfully consider stepping into that. If you're new in your relationship with Christ, what better way than to, to live out the command of scripture to say, yes, I wanna declare that through baptism. So we want you to be aware of that. If you are interested in getting baptized on February 10th, you can walk right out those doors after the service, talk to folks at the welcome desk. They'll take your name, information, we'll get in touch with you. You can also go to the website. You can sign up through the website. You can call the church during the week or you can email us. Any of those ways, happy to receive your request to be baptized and we'll just walk you through the pathway from there. Is that good? 
Fantastic. All right, I want you to be aware of that. Let me pray now. We'll look at God's word together and kind of orient ourselves around it. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the treasure and the privilege of gathering with your people. There's nowhere else we would rather be than right here together, examining your word and letting your spirit through your word examine us to receive your call upon our lives, to listen and to hear you. And we tell you in advance of anything we look at in your word because we know it's true, because we know it's right, because we know it's authoritative, that we say yes to what you invite us into through your word. We say yes to you. We're gonna be a people who are yielded to you in increasing measure each day of our lives. So thank you for meeting us here in this place according to your promise. It's our great delight to be under your authority and to worship you as our king and to follow you as our leader. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. And just like last week, if you were here, I'm gonna split time today with Ryan. We introduced a new initiative as a church we're taking up in the area of foster care. We introduced that last week. We wanna tell you a little bit more about it this week, about how you can get involved in the different ways that God might be inviting you to engage with this need in our city. And we wanna tell you a little bit more about the need and how we've come to understand it. So Ryan's gonna do that. I wanna set the, the groundwork for us by just opening the word and getting ourselves oriented in the scriptures. If you remember last week, what we talked about was why God cares so much for vulnerable people. And as we looked at God's law in the book of Deuteronomy, as we looked at Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 25, we saw two things. That when we see vulnerable people, that we are meant to see ourselves, that's what we learned when we looked at the law of God in Deuteronomy chapter 10, is that when I see a vulnerable person, I should see myself who was vulnerable to sin and death and God did something about it. He rescued me by sending his son and by saying, if you believe in him, you can have life and you can come out of death. And so whenever I see vulnerability in the world, I'm meant to see my own vulnerability. Yes, you with me? And then we also saw, perhaps even more astonishing than that, what we saw as we looked at Matthew chapter 25 and Jesus teaching uh, this story that he told about sheep and goats. And it's an interesting story. But what he taught us there was not just that when I see a vulnerable person for, who's vulnerable for whatever reason, I'm meant to see myself. I learned that I'm also meant to see my king who became vulnerable in order to save me from my vulnerability. So, which to me is even more astonishing that Jesus said, when you would do, when you would care for the vulnerable, what he calls one of the least of these, you have cared for me. In other words, what he's saying is when you see the vulnerable, don't just see yourself vulnerable to sin and death. See me who became vulnerable to rescue you. You with me? And so that, that's what we looked at last week in terms of an understanding of why in order to proclaim the gospel well and effectively, we also have to do the work that the Bible calls the work of justice, right? The work of not just gospel proclamation that always has to be there, but also the work of caring for vulnerable people in the world. And so that's what we did last week. Now what I wanna do this week, because we're, we're introducing an initiative around foster care, I want to help you understand why God has such a heart for children, why children are so paramount and so important, according to the scriptures, in the kingdom of Christ, why, he, why they seem to play such a uniquely pivotal and important role in the kingdom. We could talk about a lot of different reasons. I'm gonna give you three from Matthew 18 and from Psalm 127. Those are the texts we're gonna look at today. And let me just tell you that the reason, I mean, I'm a, I recognize that probably nobody showed up today and thought, you know, God doesn't like kids, right? 
So I'm probably preaching to the choir a little bit when I say God loves kids. But what I want you to understand is that there are some unique ways and reasons for that that you may not have seen uh, unless you've really kind of thoroughly examined what God has to say about children, about kids in the scriptures. It's not because they possess some unique kind of innocence. In fact, the scriptures testify that none of us are innocent from the moment we're born. That, that God doesn't value children because they're innocent and adults are not innocent and therefore children are important to God for that reason. That's the reason the world often offers us as the reason children are so important is because, hey, they're so innocent. But the teaching of the word of God is that none of us is innocent before God. None of us is without sin. We're born with a nature that rebels against God. That's in us from day one. And so it's not our innocence before God that he delights in and causes him to look at children and say, they're precious to me. But there are some other things. And I want you to see them. So look with me at Matthew chapter 18. We're gonna look at three things. And then I'm gonna hand off to Ryan. He's gonna give us a few more details that I think you'll find really, really useful and helpful. So it says this uh, in Matthew chapter 18, verses one through four. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to get what Jesus has just done there. Let's make sure we follow this, right? They've come to him in Mark and Luke's telling him the story, by the way. The disciples are not nearly so innocent coming to him and saying, hey, what does greatness look like in the kingdom? What we find out is that Matthew is giving us a little bit of a truncated version of what was going on because in Mark and Luke, what we find out is that the disciples are actually arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And Jesus prompts them with a question, hey, what are you talking about? And they're caught red-handed. Like, uh, well, and so Matthew just kind of picks up the story with them asking the question, okay, well, well, who is the greatest? We've been arguing about this, so who is it that's greatest? And Jesus, to give a great picture, pull, takes a child, pulls him into their midst, sits him down, you can imagine, probably on his knee, and he says, now, this doesn't answer the question. He doesn't say this child is the greatest, does he? At least not to begin with. He says, unless you become like this child, you can't even enter into my kingdom. Do you see the difference between that and the question they asked? Who's the greatest? You can't even come into my kingdom unless you're like this one. Then he goes on to tell us this is the reason why the child is the greatest in the kingdom because they demonstrate something about it that without understanding, you won't even come into his kingdom. So he then goes on to say in verse four, now watch this. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So in all the things that we could talk about, about childlikeness, all the things that are so valuable about childlikeness, the thing that Jesus highlights is humility. He says, it's the fact that children are dependent and they're comfortable with being dependent. In spite of the fact that my kids will regularly say, I can do it my what? I can do it myself, which like we want them to learn to do it themselves. In spite of that fact, if I would say to my kids, hey, we're thinking about just leaving you on your own in the house, how do you feel about that? They're frightened to death. They're like, no, we want you with us. Right? In spite of the fact that they say, I can do it myself, they, they, look, it's testimony that I can't take a 30-second restroom break without one of them knocking on the door to need something that they are very comfortable needing me. Right? And so there is this level and this comfort with just, and it's a demonstration of humility that with children, they know they need and they don't feel sheepish about that. How many of you, when you recognize you need help from someone, feel awkward asking for that help? feel like I don't, I don't want to, and I don't want to be beholden to anybody. I don't want to be in their debt. I want to be able to do it myself. 
That's the opposite of childlikeness. Because what Jesus says, kids need and they know they need. And that's a demonstration of humility. It's sort of a, a, a lightness of heart that enables them to just say, yeah, it, it, I have no trouble asking. For, I mean, look, if you have kids, do they have trouble asking you for stuff? No, because they know, they know. This is just, you know, it's how they are. So here's the thing that Jesus is teaching us. One of the reasons, the first reason, why children are so important in the kingdom of Christ is because they demonstrate to us what the kingdom, what greatness in the kingdom looks like. They demonstrate to us what, through their humility, their dependence, and their comfort level with that dependence, they demonstrate what greatness in the kingdom is like. I was trying to remember, do you ever think back and try and remember what it was like when you were a kid? Do you ever try and go back mentally like into that space and remember what you thought like or how you felt when you were little? I was thinking about this, that this week in light of this story that we're looking at. And I, it always makes me think back to um, playing wiffle ball with my dad. Now, I'll, I'll tell you why. I didn't bring this out to beat you if you fall asleep, I promise, right? So I was thinking back to playing wiffle ball with my dad. When I was, I, I really, I remember being six when this took place. I pray that I wasn't 12 when this took place. I think I was six. We were playing wiffle ball out in the yard and I wasn't getting around fast enough. So he'd pitch and I would swing and I would swing late every, every single time. Don't critique my swing right now. Some of you are doing that. It's all right. So I was, I was late. I was late. I was late. And so my dad said, hey, choke up on the bat. Now, how many of you know what choke up on the bat means? It means move your hands up the bat to make the bat shorter. You can swing it faster. Well, at six, I didn't know what choke up on the bat meant. So here's how that went for me. I looked at, I looked at the bat. I looked at my dad. I looked back at the bat. <coughs> and just gagged, basically, all over the bat, at which my dad rolled in the grass and belly laugh for like 20 minutes. But do you know why I think of that story every time? Is because when I was a kid, my dad could say anything to me and I would do it. If he said choke up on the bat and I didn't know what it meant, I did, I just, okay, I'm in. I don't understand how this is gonna help me. Hit that ball when you throw it at me, but I will throw up on this bat if you tell me to. <laughs> Stick it down my throat. You know, whatever you want me to do, I'm gonna do because I understood he is dad and he knows what I don't know. So if he says do it, I'm gonna do it. You know, as we're talking about foster care, one of the realities is it's gonna feel like God might be saying to you, choke up on the bat and you're gonna like, I don't even know what that means, right? But there's something that honors him when we, when we, do, when we just say, I'm gonna do whatever it is you tell me to do even if I don't know how to do it. I'm just gonna do my very best to obey whatever you tell me to do, even though I'm not exactly sure why you would tell me to do it or why it's helpful in this moment. But I, I wanna have childlikeness. I don't have childlikeness. So the first thing, the first thing we see is the reason that children are so important in God's economy, in his kingdom, is that they demonstrate what greatness in the kingdom looks like through their dependence and their humility. Now the second thing we see, set this down, the second thing we see uh, in this text, if you, we read the next verse, is we see that children become a sort of a litmus test for us about whether or not we've entered Christ's kingdom, whether it's bearing fruit in our hearts. So look at verse five now. He said, whoever humbles himself, in verse four, like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now that should ring a bell if you were with us last week because it takes us right back to what he said in Matthew 25 when he said, if you do these things unto the least of one of these, you have done it unto me. 
In other words, what Jesus is saying now is, in the same way that he said, if you care for the vulnerable, in Matthew 25, then you're caring for me. He says, if you receive a child in my name, then you have received me. In other words, what he's saying is, children provide a concrete reality for us. Our heart towards children provides a concrete reality, a test, if you will, of whether or not God's kingdom has entered into our hearts. Whether or not we are truly taking up the kingdom of Christ in the world, whether we've acquired his heart. And I love that because I need concrete things. I don't know about you, but I need concrete ways to understand not just my opinion about whether I'm growing in Christ and whether I'm, I'm living according to his kingdom ethic. I need concrete realities. And what this tells me is here's a concrete reality. If your heart is sensitive towards kids, delights in kids, loves them, doesn't see them as a nuisance, but, but, but gets down with them and says, I delight to be with you, you are a joy and a treasure. You're not, you're not somebody to be put off. You're not someone to be not listened to. You're not someone to just, you know, I'll get to you. But someone who says, no, this little one, this little one represents greatness in the kingdom. And also they're a litmus test of where my heart is in terms of that kingdom. How much has the kingdom captured my heart? I can know by how I treat kids. I can, and so can you. We can know how much the kingdom has captured our heart, according to Jesus right here, by how we treat kids, how we make time for them, how we love them, how we prioritize them, which is fantastic. But the other thing is it doesn't just provide a litmus test for me individually. It provides a, a sort of a litmus test for us as a society, the culture in which we live. The way we treat kids tells us how much we honor Christ as a society Nelson Mandela said it this way. I'll read it so I make sure I get it right. But Nelson Mandela said, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. It's a good word, isn't it? There can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. Now, in a country where we take the lives of 600 to 800,000 unborn every year, that is an indicting statement. It teaches us we have far to go to acquire the ethic of the kingdom in the society in which we live. And we are called to bring it to bear upon our society. The last thing, the third thing, and I know I'm hitting all these in kind of a quick hitting way because I want to make sure we get to what Ryan has to share with us today, which is really rich. The last thing I want you to see is Psalm 127, one of my favorite texts in the Old Testament. In fact, I, I preached from this text at my grandfather's funeral, which was really such a privilege to get to preach at, and a man who left a legacy of faith behind. Psalm 127, verse three and four says this, behold, children are a heritage or an inheritance from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And then verse four is really my favorite. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Do you get what the psalmist is saying there? What he's saying is that children are not, um, they're not to be idolized. They're not to be coddled. They're not to be helicoptered over. They are not to be um, treated as if we can't live without them. What they are to be done with is they are to be utilized to fight darkness in the world. 
that our children are like arrows that we shoot into the world to fight against darkness and wickedness and evil. And we raise them and invest in them and give our lives away for them so that they might bring Christ's kingdom into the world like an arrow that is shot against the enemy. Now, don't you love that picture? Doesn't it change your perspective on parenting a little bit? When you think about this is what, this is what parenting is. It's taking an arrow, drawing back the bow and shooting it out into the world for the sake of Christ. That's what parenting at its very heart is. The third thing that I want you to see about why children are so uniquely important in Christ's kingdom is because they represent the possibility of generations of glory for the king. Our king is worthy, not just of the worship of one generation, is he? He's worship of the generation of the, he's worthy of the worship of a thousand generations and thousands upon thousands of generations that every generation should bow the knee to him. And children represent the possibility, not just that my life would bring glory to God and that it would end with my life, but that children represent the possibility of now multiple generations and generations upon generations who bow the knee to Christ and therefore glorify the king who is worthy of all worship and praise. He's worthy of the worship of more than just your life. He's worthy of the worship that takes place in your life echoing down through generation after generation after generation in your family. I hope you have a vision. I mean, just fill your family's name into this. Oh Lord, let there be generations of Thompsons that would declare your worth. Let there be generations. Let my three kids sing your praises. I mean, they have children who then sing your praises. I mean, they have children who then sing your praises. I got to stand at my grandfather's funeral and declare the greatness of Christ because he had prayed for me before I was ever born and his parents before him and my parents as a result of him that the praises of the king would echo down generations. You see the multiplier, the multiplying possibility of glory that children represent? What a good gift they are. What a heritage from the Lord. So those are three reasons why children are so uniquely important to Christ's kingdom. They teach us his ethic. They become a litmus test for us in our society and they represent the possibility of great glory beyond just our own lives, but echoed down over across time and through multiple generations, through multiple men and women. Those are just three. We could go on. But I wanna hand off to Ryan now so that he can share with you a little bit more. So come on up, bud. Why don't you welcome him with me? Thank you. Appreciate that. We should clap for you, Mar, when you come. Huh? I don't think we clap for you. I get you enough. I'm good, man. Thank you. Sorry. I'm just giving him a hard time. We all need someone like that in our lives. Privileged to be that for him. Uh, well, yeah. So, enough, enough jokes. We got work to do. Uh, it's great to be with you all again. If you weren't here with us last week, uh, as Trent said, we, uh, I took us on a journey of how we arrived at foster care as our strategic initiative here at West Shore Free. And uh, I'm not going to go through the summary of all that we covered last week. And I would really encourage you to take a little bit of time, if you missed it last week, to go back and watch that. Because it, I really think it's an important milestone in the life of our church it's something that we worked at for two, three years to arrive at this moment. And so we want you fully engaged and fully with us at the journey that God's been taking us on. So if you missed last week, please take some time this week and miss it. 
uh, and, and go back and listen to it. Man, I'm on a roll. Uh, so this is what I get for picking on my pastor. Uh, well, hey, so we, we did end up with um, focusing on foster care is, is what we ended up selecting as our first of what I hope are many strategic initiatives. And foster care is really complicated. We're not going to be able to cover everything today, um, but we're going to take another step. We're going to take another step in our journey as a church family of how we might step into foster care. And I didn't say this uh, I, I want you to know that we're going to keep having information sessions. We're going to keep providing ways for you to learn more. Uh, and we'll tell you more about that at the end of ways you can keep diving deeper and see what God is calling you into uniquely and us into corporately to step into the lives of vulnerable children and their families. Um, but foster care, I promised last week, foster care, I'm going to tell you what it is, why it's a crisis, and what we can do about it. So it is a crisis. Uh, this chart, uh, which some of you might not be able to see all the details, but this chart shows that since 2015, the number of children who've been placed in foster care has grown by 400, from about 1,300 to 1,700 just in our region, the four counties around our church. And what this chart doesn't show is the number of children that need a safe place actually is greater than this number because there's not enough homes. The amount of children who have been taken out of their homes by the county and need a safe place to live while they work out what's best for them exceeds the number of families that we have in our region. And so there's a crisis. There's a crisis facing children and families in our area. And we're gonna look at why. But the foster care crisis really is ultimately a crisis of support. Not always, but often, Families in crisis don't have a safe, stable support system around them. And as I just said, the number of children outpaces the number of foster parents. In fact, in our region, about 20 to 30 children every single month are turned away uh, because there's not enough safe places for them to be. So they're being sent somewhere else out of their ecosystem, out of their friend networks, because there's not enough foster parents in our region. I want to give you where we're going right out of the gate. I believe that there's a regional need of a hundred more host families. We're going to look what that means. And a hundred more foster families and a support team for each one. That's just to meet the most pressing need right now facing our area. And so that just won't be us. Uh, I would love it if it would be us. But we're also having conversations with the other churches in our area, and we're inviting them to be part of this first strategic initiative. But what are the issues behind this rise, this rapid rise just in the past few years? Well, the best illustration I've come up with is imagine you're driving down the road and you get a flat tire. That's unfortunate. But while you're changing uh, the flat tire, the car falls on top of you. That'd be really bad, right? Really bad. Nothing to laugh about, although some of you are. You're imagining me, that happening. That's terrible. But it'd be really bad. Foster care and stepping up to call more foster families is like lifting a car off of children and their families. It's not actually getting at the broken, uh, the flat tire, okay? So I know that there are deeper issues, there are root causes of why foster care is on a rise, but we just have to be aware that there are still children and families with cars on top of them. 
but I do want to talk about briefly what these root issues are that we do want to take a look at while we're trying to respond to foster care. There's three main ones. There's lots of them. You can imagine that children are removed for lots of reasons, but the three big ones are homelessness, uh, abuse and neglect or other things, and then the biggest driver though is the opioid crisis. Opioids in our area and addiction in general, but opioids in particular. In Cumberland County, 41% of children in foster care uh, are there because of opioid addiction. Their parents lost their rights uh, to care for their children and it wasn't safe. So a couple weeks ago, I convened the first um, uh, task force, the opioid task force that our church is forming to look at how we're going to do that. But as this group is meeting in the next months, the coming months and years, and figuring out how we can get at those root issues that are going to take long responses, there's an immediate crisis facing children and families that we're calling ourselves into. And God, we believe God's calling us to. And this is our vision of where we're going to have more waiting and equipped foster families than there are waiting and vulnerable children. That every child, teen, and family will have uh, an adult in their life ready to offer a safe, stable, and loving support team for as long as is needed. That's where we're going. That's the mountaintop experience. And we're not there yet, but that's where we're going. And everyone can do something. If you forget everything that I said, remember that everyone can do something. I don't believe that everyone is called to be a foster parent. In fact, that they shouldn't be because there's many roles that are needed. But every time you step into the life of a vulnerable family or child, you're engaging in foster care, engaging in the response that children and families are facing. So everyone can do something. So don't discount this. That this might not be for me. Everyone can do something. Everyone is needed. Every profile of every kind of person, everyone is needed. And there are two things that we all can do. We can pray and we can serve. We can, we can pray expectantly that God would provide us a ways to see the vulnerable around us. We looked at that last week. Because I know that there are vulnerable families and children around you now and you might just not have seen them yet. So pray expectantly. Pray expectantly for God encounters for you to have an opportunity to tangibly demonstrate the love of God to those you encounter. So we all, can, we all can pray and we can all serve and meet those needs. But today, I want to just walk us through three pathways. And as I said at the beginning, there's going to be more opportunities to learn about this and info nights in the days to come. So I just want to give you a, a brief overview of these three pathways that I believe God's calling us to corporately enter into. And, and, and individually, some of you might be called into these things particularly. And the first one is host families uh, that I want to look at. We're going to partner with an organization called Safe Families for Children. And they're here in the back, along with our other partner, the Bear Foundation. They're in the back uh, after the service for you to meet them and, and pick up materials if you want. But Safe Families, for those of you that don't know about it, it's a national organization. It's started out of Chicago, and it's all over uh, the country now. And what they do, Safe Families calls Safe Churches, Safe Family Churches, uh, to mobilize families in their, in their churches to become host families. And these host families respond to children and families in crisis before they enter into the foster care system. And here's how this works. There's, a, there's an infinite number of possibilities of a crisis or family events. But some of the most common in our area is imagine you needed surgery or you were going to have a child and you didn't have a single, safe, reliable person 
to take in your children while you go and have that procedure. There are many families in our community that don't have safe, stable support teams. So Safe Families creates a way for families who are in crisis to partner up with a host family, a safe place to trust their children with while they go address the things they need to do, like find a house or get substance abuse treatment or go get a medical procedure. And Safe Families creates these host family relationships with families in crisis. And so here's what it looks like. A family in crisis then sends the children to the host family generally for a few days or up to four weeks. The max around here is about four weeks. Um, And 90% of the time, those children placed in host families never enter the foster care system. It's a gateway to reduce the number of children entering in in the first place. And the idea of host families is not just to care for the child in that immediate crisis, but then to develop a relationship, a nurturing relationship uh, to provide stability for that family in crisis so the next time, it's not a crisis. It's, it's a help. It's a helpline. It's a support system. So just to recap, to keep children safe during a family crisis, to support and stabilize families, and to reunite families is what host families are all about. There's a family in our church that just was approved last week, uh, Courtney and Ian Berkheimer. And I just want you to hear from Courtney both why, um, how she got involved with Safe Families and how uh, she's inviting us to pray uh, and how we can join her in this response. It was after our second child was born. Um, I didn't really feel complete. I felt like there was something missing, um, but we were done having kids of our own. So I began to pray about it. And um, I felt like the Lord called me um, to either fostering or adoption. I wasn't really sure. I've always had a passion for kids and a love for them. Um, so I just began to pray on it a little bit more. Um, and he kind of led me to Safe Families. We had a friend who had done Safe Families. And so um, I loved what it stood for. I loved what it was about. I love not having a short-term relationship necessarily with them, but a long-term relationship. Um, and through Safe Families, we can do that. We can Um, come alongside the children, we can come alongside the family and really just support them and love on them and show them who Christ is. Um, So it's, it's going to be an exciting journey and we're excited. The church can support us by praying for us, but not just us and our family, but praying for the families that are Um, bringing their kids into our homes because they are making probably one of the hardest decisions in their life by entrusting their children to strangers. And I I can't even imagine. So praying for us, um, but also just a support system, someone to check in and see what we need, whether it's meals or babysitting or anything. It can, it's going to be different every time. So just having a support group or support system there to help us, I think would be key. You know, uh, Trent shared earlier about 600 to 800,000 lives um, of unborn that are taken. But another way that we can measure how we care for vulnerable children is, is what we do when we know of families who are suffering and know families in need and we step up and we say, I'm with you. I'm going to support you. I care about your children and I care about you. And I want your life to flourish and thrive 
and me stepping into your hard situation and embracing you uh, is a way that we can reflect the gospel. So if host families is a voluntary placement where uh, before children are entering into foster care, is a way to prevent more children and a way to build safe and stable support systems for vulnerable families in our community. And that's host families. But as we all know, there are some times where children are removed. And foster care is about where a child is removed from the county because they've determined that this, this environment that the child or children are living in is unsafe. And they should be removed. And they should be removed and they need to go somewhere. And this region needs more foster parents. So I believe that another pathway that I'd love for you to pray about walking down is to become a foster parent. So let's look at what that looks like. We're going to be partnering with the Bear Foundation to do this. There's lots of incredible organizations that do foster care. Um, and, there, and there's a list on a website that I'm going to tell you about in a few minutes um, where you can find more. But we're partnering with Bear because A, they do an awesome job. And B, most of the church, uh, most of the families in our church that have gone through foster care have partnered with Bear. And so this is, these are just some of the pathways for foster care. There's three. One is foster care full-time. These kids live with you. They do the rhythms of your life. They come and they, they live at your house. And they're there full-time, very full-time, just like your kids are very full-time. Um, they're full-time. And another one is part-time respite. And respite, what that is, is it's a support system for foster parents. So if a foster parent has a life event or they need a break or something has occurred and there's an emergency or or a backup plan and respite is a backup plan for foster parents. And then there's a small amount of children in Pennsylvania uh, that uh, their parents have either lost their rights uh, to parent them or will are on that path that there's no way that those kids are going back. And so there's some children that need to be fostered but in a pathway toward adoption. So foster, foster to adopt. And foster parents can be any, a wide variety of people. They can be single, they can be married, they can be empty nesters, divorced, um, you can be old, you can be young. Uh, it, there's, there's a wide variety of things. You can, you can uh, rent, you can own. Um, and so if you feel like God is prompting you to take a next step, I'd invite you to do that. Don't come up, don't select, self-select out because there's many myths about what, who can and can't be foster parents. Um, but just some more examples that you provide a nurturing home, provide a nurturing home, and support children and adolescents with emotional and behavioral problems. I did this last service too. Um, I know we're covering a lot of material, uh, but I don't want us to lose sight of the reality that these children are facing. Being a foster parent or being a host family is hard, but it is impossible for these children without a champion. It's impossible. Some of these kids come, I, I've met some of these kids, I've worked with some of these families, they come with like a, a black plastic trash bag with as much stuff as they can fit in before they're removed with, by the police or the county and go somewhere and they don't know where that somewhere is and they're gonna come to your homes. Our opportunity to let them know that no matter, no matter what they've just gone through, and whatever they're still processing, no matter the things, the lies that have been whispered into their ear about how invaluable they are or yelling into their ear of how 
unworthy they are of attention. Foster parents provide a gospel-centered approach to declare that the God who created the heavens and the earth fearfully and wonderfully made them. And no matter what has happened in the past, their eternity is defined by the God of the universe who cares uniquely about them. Foster parents and host families provide a safe space for a child to wrestle through the impossible and re-regulate and re-stabilize and dare to believe that their future will not be defined by their past. And that is a holy calling. And I believe some of you are going to be called into that. And I'm praying for you as you are be an advocate for children in need. The time range is just a few days. That's rare. Up to 18 months. That's also rare. Uh, the average length of a time around here is about two years. Um, but again, the hardest children to place uh, are, are sibling groups, teens, and children and teens with special needs. And that number 48 is on there with teens because uh, in Cumberland County, one of the most affluent counties in all of Pennsylvania, 48% of our teens are sent to group homes. And one of the biggest reasons is there's not enough homes for them to live in. To give you a context for that, 48 is 25% higher than the state average. So in one of the most affluent counties in Pennsylvania, Children, teenagers are being sent to group homes because there's not enough homes. So if you're an empty nester or you have older children or you're retired, if you have a big heart, a big house, a small house and a big heart, maybe these teens belong with you. I'm going to skip that. Uh, there's, th- there's three pathways uh, to respond. And we looked at host families, that's voluntary, uh, foster parents is when you're removed, when children are removed and need to go somewhere and they might be coming to your house. Um, and then you all remember, you might remember if you were here last week, the story that I told you about the pier. Raise your hand if you remember the pier. Okay. Some of you said that was a helpful reminder. The, the short story is that this couple was on a pier and they were looking out of the water and some people said, jump in, do it. You're going to love it. The water's awesome. And then they did, and it was memorable because they didn't know how to swim. That's really awful. There are people in our church that are going to be called to become host families. They're going to be called to become foster parents. And we want to have people in the water uh, supporting them with lifeboats and, and a cup of coffee. Like, keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Uh, I have three kids. And and so, uh, Finding Dory is awesome. Um, Finding Nemo, also awesome. Not as awesome. Um, anyway, so as we call people to jump into the water, we want to support them. And there's three ways that we can build support teams around them. The first is just informally. You might know of, of children and families in need, and you just pray that God would provide a way to do that and just help them. You don't need to be part of a program or strategic initiative or on an org chart of any kind. Just be praying that God would provide you an opportunity as individually or as a family uh, to step in and support families in need and just do it. And that's awesome. But specifically, as God raises up more host families and foster parents in our church, we want to build formal support teams for each one. 
five to 10 people who are with them for six to 12 months and are committed to being a reliable place where they can call. I found from, you know, almost 20 years of working with vulnerable children here and in Africa that the people with the biggest hearts are generally the worst askers for help. Uh, the people with the biggest hearts. And so we don't want to wait until they're floundering and flailing in the water. We want to have a support team with a mentor and a support team around each family to say, we are with you. As you embrace and invite hurting children and teens into your homes, and you envelop them and try to share and demonstrate a tangible manifest, manifestation of God's love, we as a church family and as a support team are going to embrace you. We're going to be with you and watch over you wherever you go. Come what may, we are with you. We want to build a support team that stands with those caring for the vulnerable. And then, of course, this strategic initiative, as it rolls out, we're going to be having uh, more components in the days to come. Uh, a website that we're going to share with you today, and uh, we're going to have trainings and hospitality and a newsletter and things will be needed. And so um, at one of these info nights, you can also find out about how to step into being a support person. But amidst all the things you have to do, I know you all are busy. We talked about that last week. I know you all are busy. I want you to be praying about instead of viewing it as one more thing to do, one more thing to add to your very busy schedule and your very busy lives, I want you to ask God to have sovereignty of your whole life. Again, maybe God's not asking you to become a foster parent or a host family, but God might be prompting you to take a different action. What is God asking you to do? Don't worry about one more thing. Give God everything. And I promise you, when we give God control over everything, it's always better. I want you to hear from Lydia Ganong. I talked to her a couple weeks ago, and Lydia's been faithfully caring for foster parents in our community. And I want you to pray about how she went about giving God her best yes. think what has allowed me to do this freely and not feel burdened by it as one more thing to do um, was the process that God took me through of making space. Sorry, that's me. I think I did that. I think what has allowed me to do this freely and not feel burdened by it as one more thing to do um, was the process that God took me through of making space in my life to be available and um, just the idea of saying no to some things or not picking up something else to fill the space that I found that I had because I felt like I should, but um, waiting until um, it was clear what God was asking me to do. Um, and I think it's easy to fill our space fill our time because of the shoulds. I feel like I should do this. I feel like I should do that. Or if there's a need, no one else is meeting it. So we feel like, oh, I should do this because no one else is. But um, sometimes still saying no to those things um, to uh, allow yourself to have, Lisa Turkhurst calls it the best yes. Um, the thing that fits um, what God has made you to do and God is calling you to do might mean saying no to other things that people might feel you should be doing or you might feel you should be doing. 
We want to give God our best. And so I'd invite you to pray about what is your best. As you pray, remember, as I said last week, that someone always finds vulnerable children. They're not alone very long. Someone always finds vulnerable children. Always. There's always someone whispering something into children's ears. It's either about death and despair or hope and life. But they're not alone very long. This is the percentage growth in the different counties around our area, just some of the counties, of the number of children who have been placed in uh, placement of foster care. Just since 2015, this is the growth. But I believe that God calls the church to stand with the vulnerable, and he has. This represents about 20 dots of families in our church who have already stepped in. And we believe that God is raising up more of you. These are families in our church who have already stepped in to become host families or foster parents, or provide kinship care. These are families who God is calling. And this is where you live. This is, this is, these dots represent where you all live. And as God calls more foster families, God calls more host families, you all already live where the vulnerable live. God is on the move in our church. And it's going to be awesome to see what he does. I know that it's going to be infinitely greater than anything we can hope or imagine. But we need to give God our very best. I I mentioned last week that we're going to convene you up in things like this. We're going to convene you. We're going to train you on how to do this stuff. And we're going to launch you out. Um, And then we're going to convene you again. Because as Trent said, we're going to choke up. We're going to learn how to do this stuff. It's going to be hard. We're going to grow. We're going to be stretched. We're going to, our prayer lives are going to increase. We're going to realize we need each other more than we thought we did. And it's going to be awesome. But we're not going to do this, uh, and we're not going to just send you out and say, go. We're going to keep providing you ways to learn and grow and how to do this. And one of the tools that we want to give you today is a, is a website that we've created. WestShoreFree.org backslash foster. We created this with a company called City Flourish. And it's, a, it's going to be a, hopefully an incredible tool where you can, um, you can select the things um, and learn about each county. So on, there's a map on there, and you can learn about vulnerability for children in your county. You can learn about how you can pray and serve in our area. You can learn about the things that we talked about. How do you learn about safe families and fostering and how to be a support person? And most importantly for today, I want you to know that on this website, I would really encourage you to go today, tomorrow, on this website is a way that you can sign up for the next info sessions that we're going to have on the 26th and 29th of January. And if now is not the right time, that's okay. We're going to keep offering these every three or four months. So you pray about it together as a family, with your kids or with your neighbors, your life group. Pray about what God is calling you into. You don't need to sign up for everything now. Just come and learn more. Come and learn more. God is on the move in our region. I just know that he is. As we seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truths, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ, he is going to roar. He is going to roar words of encouragement and purpose and hope and joy into the lives of hurting families and children in our region. I just know it because that's who God is. Let's be available to be used by him. Let's sing.